Tous les matins, on essaye de traverser le miroir et de regarder le monde différemment. It is true, I am a woman. Une fois que ce saut est fait, tout devient possible. Hello, I'm Charlotte Kasseragi. Welcome to the podcast of Les Rendez-vous littéraires Rue Cambon, a place where we meet to talk about writing, to talk about books. Let's meet women writers who have just taken their first step, the most decisive, the most difficult in the world of literature. How did their vocation call to them? What are their writing rituals? Who reads them and what do they read? I'm Erica Wagner, and it's my pleasure to introduce Huma Qureshi and welcome her to Chanel's podcast of Les Rendezvous Littéraires Rue Cambon. Writing is the lifeblood of Huma Qureshi. It's the only thing I ever wanted to do for as long as I can remember. I love that writing demands precision, that it asks something of me, she has said. We're here to talk about her wonderful debut novel, Playing Games, which is the story of two sisters and their complicated love. It's also, as it happens, a story about creativity and how you draw work from life. Hannah and Mira were born exactly two years apart. Hannah, the older sibling, is a lawyer, a divorce lawyer, as it happens. She's married to Samir, and they're beginning to think about having children. Mira is a playwright who works in a North London cafe to support herself and struggles with her flatmates and the direction she thinks her life is or isn't taking. On the surface, it looks like Hannah has her life sorted and that Mira has yet to find her feet, but things aren't so simple as they seem. With intelligence, warmth, and delicacy, Qureshi examines the lives of these two women as they strive to individuate themselves, to feel whole. As Sana Goyal wrote in The Guardian, This poignant and impressionistic book about the often blurred boundaries between life and literature asks what and why we hold back from those who know us best. Huma grew up in Walsall. In a family of Pakistani origin, she studied at Warwick University and in Paris at Sciences Po before beginning a career as a journalist. She explored the South Asian diaspora in her first book of short stories, In Spite of Oceans, Migrant Voices, published in 2014. This was storytelling based very much on real histories and interviews. It's fascinating to me that she returns to the subject of how real life informs fiction in her debut novel. Her writing career has really taken off in the last few years. In 2020, she won the Harper's Bazaar Short Story Prize for a tale called The Jam Maker. In 2021, she published not one but two books, How We Met, a memoir of love and other misadventures, and another collection of stories, Things We Do Not Tell the People We Love. In 2022, How We Met was shortlisted in the Books Are My Bag Indie Book Awards, while Things We Do Not Tell the People We Love was longlisted for both the Jalak Prize Book of the Year and the Edge Hill Prize for Excellence in a single authored short story collection. The process of writing fiction gives her liberty and fires her curiosity. I love the feeling of meeting my characters on the page, mostly women who don't have to be defined by what boxes other people put them in, she has said. 
I feel free to explore the themes that I'm drawn to again and again. Loneliness, love, miscommunication, and fractured relationships. I'm delighted to be discussing all these aspects of creation and more with Huma today. Thank you so much, Erica. That was so moving to listen to, to sort of have that moment to hear you catch up on everything I've done because I didn't, I don't think I really realized that myself. I'm really delighted to talk to you about your achievements and your writing today. So I'm going to start by asking you about your beginnings as a storyteller. When we consider your vocation as a writer, you say you've always been one, but how did that vocation come to you as a young person? I think if you were to ask my mother that question, she would tell you that as a child, I was quite precocious as a reader. Um, And she would also tell you that apparently I wrote from an early age. Now, I don't have much memory of this as a five or six-year-old, but um, I wrote books and drew pictures. And she famously uh, told one of my book editors that my first book was a book about a rabbit who lost his tail. So I think as a very young child, there was that freedom of play and creativity that comes with writing that I think also risks getting lost with writing as you get older. And then as I sort of grew, you know, in my teen years and and approaching university, I was not necessarily writing anything remotely good (laughs) at fiction. I only really started taking it seriously when I was at university and I was reading a lot. And it occurred to me that I this was something that I, I really desperately wanted, but I didn't know how to get it. And so that's why I made, say, the career choices that I did, becoming a journalist, because I thought maybe that will satisfy the itch. But it didn't really. And it was when I was a journalist at The Guardian that I started taking evening classes in creative writing to try and explore that. And so I started taking these classes to sort of channel that and then realized that actually maybe that form of learning was taking away some of that initial joy and creativity and play that I also desperately wanted to find. And so I started just writing at home for myself and exploring things without being told how to explore them. Um, And I learned along the way sort of how to find my fiction voice or my creative writing voice as separate to my journalist voice. And so that was a whole process of kind of figuring out who I really was when I was writing as me. I know you've talked in interviews about your love of Virginia Woolf and Elena Ferrante Mm. and Elizabeth Strout. Are there any other writers you might mention who've been influential or who you just love reading? Oh, I absolutely adore and feel so much comfort and reassurance from Alice Munro's writing. Um, And Anne Patchett is another writer that I absolutely adore, and Anne Tyler as well. So my three A's. (laughs) Um, And Jhumpa Lahiri as well. I mean, my list could go on and on, but I guess the common theme, if there is one between them, is the fact that all these writers, they are so understated and unshowy in the form, but the language that they use as well. It's so simple and so honest and so full of compassion. And I think that's what I'm always striving for, is also 
what they write about is something that really speaks to me as well, because it's these quiet everyday moments that are actually really significant to that character in that moment. So yeah, I'm all about the kind of writing, which is less about the plot in a way and more about the emotional inner journey and the inner lives and the quiet moments. In the context of those inner lives in your earlier books, in Migrant Voices, in your memoir, you have talked about the culture you grew up in, Pakistani British culture. How do these cross cultural influences affect your writing and your creative process? I think in the beginning, I thought that that had to be the issue that I was addressing. And hence why my first book, In Spite of Asians, it's very much about that, in quotation marks, immigrant experience. And I think for a long time, I thought that was the only way that I would be allowed to write, if that makes sense. But at the same time, I couldn't not address it because it was also a part of me. And I think I definitely feel more confident to actually shake it off a little because though it my background is always going to be a part of me, I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be announced on the page. And I think my natural interests as a writer are in these very kind of universal themes of, um, as you so beautifully said in the introduction, fractured relationships and love and miscommunication and all of that, I think, can exist without necessarily being couched in terms of identity. Tell us a little bit about the publication process for your debut novel. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you had published books before, but this must have been a special experience. It was special and also daunting. <laughs> um, the reality of that was that it was the end of 2021. I think we got back into a lockdown. Um, January 22, I seem to recall, homeschool was announced again. I have three children. We were renovating a house. We were living next door to the house that we were renovating. So all of this was going on in my kind of um, real life. <laughs> and in my book world, I had this book that very desperately needed to be written. And so I didn't do an awful lot of planning. And a lot of it was simply instinct um, and intuition, which is how I knew how to write. Like, that's how I wrote my short stories. It was always kind of based on this feeling. And I took that feeling and started it, but realized how with long form fiction, there does need to be a little bit of forward planning and foresight and knowing what's going to happen. And that, to me, basically took place in the form of writing layers that I was building upon. And they were very different and very distinct in terms of the storyline, but they all featured sisters at the heart of it, and they all featured Hannah and Mira. And I, I felt like I knew who my characters were, and I was trying to put them in a plot rather than what I discovered was to let the plot come to me when I sort of really connected with who my characters were. Um, so it was a whirlwind of a writing experience with all of that going on in the background. And rather than setting myself like a daily word limit, which didn't really work for me, I would just write for it two to three hours in the morning 
and that would be my writing day. And then I was able to split myself between my other various responsibilities. And as the story, you know, as one draft is finished and then another draft is finished, then I think for me, at least the process gets quicker. And I enjoy every process that comes after the first draft. Um, the editing, the language, the spending the time with your sentences and perfecting them. And, and yeah, I was able to do that over the summer. And then we got to where we were. <laughs> Wonderful. Why don't we hear the first page? Lovely. Mira is sitting on her unmade bed with her back against the wall, her laptop balanced on outstretched legs, ankles crossed, twirling a piece of her hair around her finger. She's staring at the homepage of a playwriting prize, the banner across the top of the site counting down, announcing there are 212 days left until the submission deadline in November. Whoever designed the website has done it in such a way that the numbers flick from side to side every 50 seconds, as if they are dancing. Without realising that she's doing it, Mira counts the seconds until the numbers travel across the screen again in their stilted way, and when they do, it feels satisfying, like scratching an itch or figuring out a magic trick. She's doing this, staring at the numbers and counting to 50 in her head and deliberately avoiding having to think about the play she both does but doesn't want to be writing, when her phone, which is somewhere on the bed by her bare feet, begins to vibrate. Mira looks over the top of her laptop and then, using her toes, inches her phone towards her. She glances at the screen with low-level dread. She's wary of a ringing phone, wishes people would just text instead, even though the only person who ever calls is her older sister, Hannah. And sure enough, it is Hannah. Mira hesitates, but she knows that if she doesn't answer, Hannah will only keep on trying. Hey, Han, what's up? Mira cringes at her painful attempt to sound upbeat. Thank you so much. You talked a little bit about your routine of writing, at least for writing this novel. You also run workshops and coach other writers. Do you give them advice about their routines or their rituals that you have that help you that you might pass on to others? I actually don't couch it as advice because I feel having been through the learning process myself and having sat through creative writing lessons and taken all sorts of courses in the past, all of which had value, I also recognize that they didn't necessarily work for me to be told that this is how you do it. And I have these very distinct memories of sitting in a classroom in the evening at one of my evening creative writing classes. And, you know, now we're going to create a character spreadsheet, for instance. And that just didn't work for me. And so the way I present it is, is less as a formula or here's how to kickstart your writing process, for instance, and more about sharing my process and, and the very heart of my process, because I feel like that's what you really need when you're writing is not necessarily a guideline. It's a lot more about learning to trust your instinct and your intuition, because that's what's going to make your story your story. And so is that your process when you sit down to write a kind of listening to yourself I think it is a lot of it is very much about an emotion that I want to explore 
that might be sort of latent in me. Um, it might be from outside of myself. And it always kind of starts there. It starts with a sense of longing or betrayal or forgiveness. And then I will from there think about what that might look like. Like what does longing look like? And, and from there I start to see the people that are involved in that and the feelings, the other feelings that come with it. Like if I think about the very first book, it seems to me, and you know, I haven't looked at it for, for years, but my memory of it is that I think I was trying too hard and the language was quite possibly a little bit over the top and flowery when it didn't really need to be. And I've definitely stripped back from that. As you alluded to before, character is so important to you and you write in this novel so wonderfully. Mira, of course, is a writer. You write about her discovering her characters, looking for her characters. Can you say a little bit about how Mira and Hannah arrived for you? I felt very certain that this was going to be a story about two sisters who were different. I knew before I'd even put a word on the page that that was what I wanted to explore. And I felt like I, I wanted to write this relationship about two family members, two women, two sisters, but I wanted that to be tenderness as well as complexity. Um, I knew that whoever these sisters were going to be, whatever difficulties they would have, they would find a way through. That was sort of my feeling before I began writing. I was, however, at the same time, very aware that I didn't want this to be such a simple trope that one sister was the kind of wild, reckless sister and one sister was the, you know, the perfect had it all. But actually, it really mattered to me that Hannah was just as vulnerable. Hannah being the kind of perfect sister, so to speak, was actually very vulnerable and had a lot of complexities herself. So it wasn't just as simple as crazy, wild, creative sister versus lawyer, married, settled down sister. Um, they both came to this story with a kind of bewilderment that they are trying to process. So only one is trying to hide it. And I feel like adding that element of Mira's creativity and how she borrows from her sister's life in order to write about, which was kind of playing on that theme of what we borrow from sisters and how far we can get away with it and what we borrow without asking and how that matters when it's somebody's life. That added that element of kind of tension and betrayal and complexity that I, I wanted them to be able to to get through and see if they could survive. Mira also struggles with what is sometimes called writer's block. Is that something you have had experience of or a version of it? And how have you dealt with the challenges we all have sitting down at our desk? There's a moment in playing games when Mira is in what I guess writers sometimes called the flow when she's in her desk and the writing is actually happening and it's flowing and she describes it as being like underwater and that felt very true to me like that's what I remember writing in the flow feels like the whole world around you is kind of muffled and at a distance like you're wearing headphones you're not really aware of what else is happening around you so that element of her writing was definitely felt like I was writing it in real time because I too was in that phase when I was you know coming towards the end of the novel and I was writing in the flow 
But that said, I had also been in Mira's position where I had a deadline to write a novel and I knew it was going to be about sisters, but I didn't know an awful lot else. And I had that panic come over me. So for me, it's more of a panic than a kind of writer's block, so to speak. When I'm stuck in that process, I spend a lot of time reading and I spend a lot of time watching films. I I actually take a lot um, from sort of watching a visual story that really helps to unblock something. There's something about the act of being alone in the cinema, which is one of my favorite things to do, that when I come out of that, it almost doesn't matter what I've watched. It's It just makes me feel alive in some way. And it makes me want to hurry back and write something down, even if it's just a line about a feeling that that brought up in me. And all those little things. Do you have a first reader? Is there someone who always looks at your work first and gives you a steer or helps you out? How does that work for you? I've never usually shown people my work before I feel like it's worth something. Um, So when I was writing in my early days, uh, writing short stories or, you know, for myself or whatever, I never really showed them to anyone. And my way of showing them to people was to, when I got to a point that I believed in myself and I believed that maybe I was hitting the kind of tone that I wanted and I felt the emotional barometer of the story resonate with me when I felt like possibly objectively it was worth something I started sending them into competitions which is how I entered the Harper's Bazaar Prize for instance and that was my way of gauging whether or not I had it in me to write um so that was like my first experience of sharing my writing. Uh, And now I'm lucky enough to have my agent and my editor. And I will send my agent my work before I show it to anyone else. But even that requires a certain degree of convincing that it is the right time to show her. Um, I feel like the more you write and the more experienced you get in that process, the more you can judge your own work a little. And then you know when the time is right to bring someone else in. In the next part of our conversation, I want to ask you about the layers of reception of your work, how your work has been received. I think readers like to identify characters with their authors, especially when those authors are women, I have to say, which is something we have to be careful of. Mira is a writer, like you are a writer. Otherwise, you seem very different. I wonder, however, if you've ever had readers kind of make assumptions about your characters or presume you're drawing from life in that specific way. That is exactly how one of the themes of playing games came about. Mira is a playwright, as we've discussed, and she's struggling to come up with an idea of what to write about. And then one day, she overhears her sister having a very private, very, very private and intense argument with her husband, which then plants the seed of inspiration into Mira's mind. And she can't stop thinking about this moment, which then she kind of borrows to write about, which is the the play on the idea of borrowing from your sister. And the way this came up for me, this theme of the question of 
borrowing from life and what is fiction and what isn't and the way that people often presume that fiction is fact and so that really stuck with me this idea of well what does it matter and does it matter and how much does it matter and where is the line is there a line what's the right or wrong answer and that was something that I really had fun with exploring in the novel because I wanted to ask the question but I didn't want to do it in a really boring didactic way and say well this was so obviously morally wrong because I don't think the answer is that clear-cut um so yeah I had a lot of fun exploring that theme of what is fiction and what isn't knowing full well that people may well like you say make that assumption that Mira must be me because she's writing. You mentioned the Harper's Bazaar Short Story Award, which you won in 2020 for your story, The Jam Maker. What did that mean to you, winning that prize? Gosh, I mean, as I'd said, I hadn't shown my work to anyone. I wasn't in the habit of doing that. Um, And this was my way of simply figuring out, is it any good? You know, I entered lots of different literary prizes with different stories just to see, is it any good? And slowly, one by one, you know, one would get shortlisted, one would get longlisted. And then all of a sudden, with Harper's Bazaar, I got this email back from Helena Lee, who is the one of the editors of the magazine, to say that I'd been chosen uh, alongside all these quotes from yourself, from Bernadine Evaristo, from various high figures in the publishing industry, it felt very, um, very, very strange because I was aware that people who had won the Harper's Bazaar Prize had gone on to very great things. I was very aware of that because I'd followed their trajectory. So then to find out that I had won suddenly gave me a really significant confidence boost. Once I found out about Harper's Bazaar, I was able to then submit to literary agents and include that in my letter to them, which suddenly meant that the moment that I'd mentioned that, and I think I pressed send on my letters to the literary agent, like literally the day after I found out that I'd been, I was, I had won, um, I suddenly had multiple offers of representation on the table, um, all these meetings suddenly happening, um, things just took off from there. Um, it kind of opened up a door that I think I may have had to have otherwise knock on for a lot longer. Um, and it suddenly felt like all of a sudden I had two books coming out the next year. Turning to playing games, are there any responses to this book that have been particularly meaningful to you? I've always promised myself that that is enough for one person to be moved by my book. It mattered to someone. It They couldn't stop reading. They stayed up at night. They still think about the characters because they feel so real to them. Those are the things that really resonate with me. And I'm blessed by the reviews that Playing Games has received. It's been phenomenal. It's been in like pretty much every single mainstream uh, um, newspaper or magazine. And One of the ones that really meant something to me was a review in the Financial Times whereby the reviewer acknowledged the fact that I was not writing about identity for the sake of it and that I had grown as a writer and I was moving away from sort of the nonfiction that I'd written. Um, And it felt meaningful for that to be understood and not misunderstood. And she understood the reasons why I'd done that. Um, 
And that felt like a moment because I was nervous about that. I was nervous about people maybe thinking that I was shying away from it rather than you know, simply writing about it. It almost felt like a permission slip to carry on doing what I'm doing and maybe to not overthink it and to not overworry what people might think. We're coming to the end of our conversation. It's been so wonderful talking to you, Hama. We always have a few questions that we ask all our guests, and so I'm going to come to those now. The first one is, what is the most surprising thing you've learned from being a writer? The most surprising thing I've learned from being a writer is knowing that I can do it. It never fails to surprise me. It's astonishing to see my books on a shelf in my own home, let alone in a bookshop. So the idea that, you know, I, I started off my fiction writing as a short story writer. I never thought I could write anything longer than 10,000 words at a time. And 10,000 words is pretty long for a short story. So to be able <laughs> to say, actually, I saw it through to completion, that that is what surprises me, never fails to surprise me. <laughs> Sticking with the theme of surprise, what would people be surprised to learn about you? Perhaps that once I was uh, approached at university, I could have had a very different career path. I was approached by the intelligence services <laughs> in my final year at university. What is your idea of perfect happiness? My idea of perfect happiness is an image that comes to me immediately, and that's opening the door and going home. That, to me, is everything, if I'm honest. <laughs> that's really lovely. What advice would you give to anyone who wants to express their creativity, however they want to do that? I would say, and I know it's really easy to say it when you've kind of been through it, easier said than done, but I would say try not to think about everyone else on the other side. and You do it for you, and it doesn't matter what comes of it. You just do it for you. Because the moment you start worrying about readers and what other people might think, and, you know, I just mentioned a little bit about those fears that I had to, that's the moment when you stop being true to yourself in your form, in your art, your creativity. And I think that truth and that honesty is what makes the difference in your work. And that's what connects with people, whether it's a reader or someone standing in front of, front of your, your painting. It has to come from that real heart and the moment you start thinking about other people, you lose that. So don't lose the essence of what makes you you. In one word, how would you like to be remembered as a writer? I'd like to be remembered as meaningful. And I hope it's okay that I say that. It seems a little, I don't know, pretentious to say it, but I would love just to be remembered for having stories that were meaningful. It's okay by me. <laughs> And finally, if you can say something about this, what would you like your second novel to look like? Oh, I'm actually very excited about the prospect of starting again. Um, I am really drawn to big, messy lives. And I have done that to a certain extent with Hannah and Mira, but I'm really itching for a bigger cast of characters and I'm leaning towards these kind of multi-generational family layers, uh, complications, that kind of thing. So that's what I'm quite excited to explore in 2024. 
Well, we are excited too. Thank you so much, Hama Qureshi, for joining us on the Rendezvous Literaire podcast. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, and I hope we have a chance to talk again soon. I can't wait to read your next book. Thank you so much, Erica, for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rendezvous Littéraire Rue Cambon podcast. To discover more about it, you will find images, links, and references on the Chanel website. À bientôt!